Welcome to It Sounded Like a Good Idea at the Time, the weekly podcast where we discuss in the trenches things that we face from a non-expert perspective. Except this week, we're joined by an expert. My name is Caroline. And I'm Hannah. And we're so glad you joined us today. What a big episode for us. Right. We are not the experts still that we're referring to. Um, Super excited, (laughs) though, to bring on Jordan Syatt, who we talk about maybe every episode, I think. Yeah, truly. Um, And we recorded with him a little bit earlier today. uh, So I do want to say ahead of time that I am sorry for the mania you'll sense in my voice at the beginning. Uh, We did calm things down a little bit. Yes, (laughs) we were. Yes, we were very hyped up. That will become clear. (laughs) Hopefully it's clear (laughs) that we are now best friends with Jordan Syatt and we'll continue to push that till the day we die. So. Yeah, and no doubt he feels the exact same way. Exactly. I really felt like I had freebased like a gallon of the Albanese gummy bears that you <laughs> pushed last week. You first. should be so lucky. Um, in fact, in fact, you texted me. You have that nervous fast talk thing going, which I was like, <laughs> I understand. And reading I back, it. I was like, I should have been a touch more helpful and said hey, take a breath or something (laughs) rather than... No, I I appreciated the criticism right off the bat. That's what friends are for. (laughs) Exactly. Um, But before we uh, get into that conversation, which we know you guys are going to like because it's always a good idea to talk to experts, um, we were just kind of texting over the weekend about this story. You may have seen it. Um, Billie Eilish, who famously never (laughs) doesn't wear baggy clothes. That is grammatically okay. I know it. That's good. Um, (laughs) she's always wearing baggy clothes and of course is facing criticism for it all the time because people can't just like leave people alone. Um, and has said before in interviews, I don't want people focusing on my body. She is 18 and was out about walking around in some sort of spaghetti strap tank top and like baggy shorts. And people were first of all criticizing her body and then coming to her defense just to kind of sum up the whole roller coaster of this news cycle, um, saying, <laughs> yeah. no, she's really brave. But then again, it's like, she's just living her life. <laughs> like, first of all, her yeah. body looks better than mine. So painful that it's being called brave. <laughs> yeah, well, she's 18 and hasn't had kids. So right. it's okay. You there, can take a rest in that. Yes. And I will for sure. But also, like, this is just perfect timing for the episode in which um, Jordan is going to give some really good advice about just like the way to look at weight and to be how to talk to yourself about it. Like this, we are focusing on the wrong things, people like I don't I don't want to spoil anything. Keep listening, obviously. But this is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, you know, and where I feel is like no one needs to have an opinion on someone else's body. We all have enough opinions of our own (laughs) about our own body, but there are very few times that I'm grateful not to be a celebrity. And this would be one of them. Um, because you know, you look at somebody like women can't win. I mean, we know this, um, but you know, Billie Eilish, it didn't matter what her body revealed when she was caught wearing this spaghetti strap tank top. It wouldn't have mattered. There would be opinions. Um, you know, there would be, Right. Well, Adele was both criticized and praised for being full figured, then criticized and praised for losing weight. Rebel Wilson is losing weight and is facing some criticism for that, even though she seemingly is doing it in a very healthy way. Lizzo has gone vegan. People have questions about that. But I feel like we're allowed to change our bodies. You know, Jordan talks about, again, not to spoil the episode, but I will. Um, 
<laughs> it's okay to have to have goals to look aesthetically pleasing. That's fine, but it's not our place to judge what is aesthetically pleasing to somebody else. It's frustrating. Right. It really is frustrating. I mean, we've all seen like um on the tabloids in the grocery store yes. aisle like some celebrity who's always like super super fit eats I assume spaghetti for dinner one time and then immediately it's like pregnancy news to share question mark question mark question mark and like um there was an instagram account there is an instagram account i follow and talk about all the time mama's gone city um i remember sometime she is currently um very pregnant she's about 37 weeks but at the time that this she was not pregnant i think sometime like a year and a half ago or two years ago she was in a bathing suit and someone commented like pregnant question mark and she was like no please don't say that like that's wildly inappropriate (laughs) like yes you you just that's this it's not your concern at all like if no one has shared it with you about their body or what's going on with their body in any way say nothing well and equally you know i have been a longtime fan of Nicole Richie. in fact i have an autographed frame picture of her i wanted a funny i did not know that about you Yes, I won this signed photo of her. She was not at this event, but I guess somehow they got this signed photo. Um, and I won it for like $11. <laughs> so I'm sorry, Nicole, that nice. no one else valued you. But, um, you know, when she was at the height of her eating issues or alleged eating issues, she was photographed by paparazzi a lot, having a burger, having mac and cheese, you know, whatever. And people were like, I wish I could eat all that and look like that. But apparently part of her eating issues where she would have one meal for a few days. So she would stage these shoots. So it would look like she was eating and that's what she would subsist on for a few days. So you can never trust what you see. Totally. Um, and I just think that was, this was a good topic to bring in as an intro to this episode, which, um, largely centers around fitness. And if we were fans of Jordan Syatt before we are a million times that now. Um, and it just feels like sitting down and chatting with a friend, but also like someone who's just being honest with you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's been a pure delight for me of all the evils of social media to find people that either you become friends with or not, but that are genuinely who they put out on social media. And Jordan definitely in our conversation felt that way. He's so likable on his account. I felt connected to him just because I related to his content so much. But being able to talk to him even further just solidified that. And I'm thankful for social media for that. For sure. And um, we were going to have... We were going to try and not take up a lot of his time. (laughs) But... Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Both of us. Yeah. I don't know who we really thought we were. Not very Um, (laughs) self-aware. Right. But the episode is... uh, We took enough time with him that we don't want to keep you going too long here in the intro. So we hope you love this of his. um, And if you just... Yeah, grab your favorite snack. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna say, grab your favorite snacks, go for a walk, don't do whatever pleases you most, and then dive in for a listen. (laughs) Right. And if this is your first time with us, we'd love if you subscribed and um, hit us up with any feedback. Um, And we love to talk. So yeah. And without further ado, (laughs) without further ado, here is our very best good friend, Jordan (laughs) Syed. Yes. It's uh, I'm well, cool. We, it's all cool. Everything's cool. 
<laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Great. Well, we are back. Um, I am wiping my lip sweat, uh, cracking open another DDP uh, because we are being joined by none other than Jordan Syatt. Um, Jordan, thank you so much for joining us. This is uh, the most exciting day of my life, mostly. Thanks <laughs> <laughs> for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, cool. Well, um, Hannah, do you want to dive in? We've been like manic texting questions back and forth. I've been asking everyone that I know who also knows knows of your account, Jordan. Um, and there are there's a lot of stuff people want to know. Yeah, yeah. One of which to Jordan, um, I'm going to put this on you. Is Caroline has a big addiction to Diet Dr Pepper, so <laughs> we've been asked to have you handle that. <laughs> um, Wait, is this an intervention? Because that feels like Jordan a really and I cool. have gathered here today. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, I, you know, I, um, when Caroline first sent you to me <laughs> like a year and a half ago on Instagram, very casual. That sounds so, so sketchy. It's all very normal. Works. <laughs> when Caroline opened my eyes to your existence, that's better? No, I don't. Yeah, good, good. good. <laughs> um, I had just stopped following like all fitness accounts on Instagram and um, quite a lot of influencers and stuff because I just felt like they were preaching a lot of unattainable goals. And um, it was just discouraging almost more than anything for me. Um, just, I mean, as a parent of small kids back then, they were of course, even smaller. It's even harder to carve out time. And then when like Caroline kept saying like, you, you know, Jordan Syatt says, and you've got to, you've got to go check, check him out. And it's, it was literally like a breath of fresh air. Like your account is just so real. And you, you on your account are so real. And, um, <laughs> I just was wondering, like, is there, was there like a catalyst for that? Or have you, are you just naturally like so open and honest? Like you just don't bullshit around and you tell things like they are and people love it. I can tell. Well, first and foremost, thank you. I really appreciate that. Um, second, I think it's, it's a combination of it's partly who I am and also it's partly learned from experience. I'll, I'll tell you a story. If you know anything about me, I ramble a lot. So if I'm ever rambling too much, just tell me. Um, <laughs> You're in, you are in great company. Yeah. <laughs> I, I made my first website, first fitness website in July of 2011. And I, I didn't know that an online business was possible. I didn't expect to have any people who followed me really. Like this is before Instagram, like is before all that. So I was in college and I, I made a website and literally on the front page of my website, am I allowed to swear on this or no? Yes. Go yep, for it. Sure are. So on the, on like my home page, I was like, I literally wrote like, this is a, I'm, I'm a no bullshit kind of person. I'm not going to be like just pussyfooting around. Like I'm going to tell you exactly what I think and how I feel. And the only person at that time who read my website was my mom. <laughs> not happy about that. And she said, <laughs> she said, no one will ever like read your stuff if you're always swearing. And I remember I said to my mom, I was like, mom, I'm not going to change how I speak just to appease certain people. I was like, the people who appreciate that will follow me and the people who don't won't follow me. And, uh, I, so I think from that sense, I've, I've done my best to always be who I am and just show it up front. But on the other hand, I've also struggled with it. So if you go back and read my articles from 2011, 2012, 2013, or if you go watch my videos from 2012, 2013, 2014, you'll see a very different author and a very different individual on camera because 
I, you can, you'll, you'll notice very quickly if you go read my old writing, I used a lot of big words. I spoke in like very sciencey terms, like anterior pelvic tilt and the Krebs cycle and all that <laughs> nothing like I write now. Now I talk about Harry Potter and I'd make sex jokes and it's just very much more relatable. Like you're talking to a real human. Yes. Yeah. And back then I would do that because I thought that to be taken seriously, I had to show people how smart I was. And that's why I would use big words because I thought that was how I would convince people I was smart. The better I got and the more actually intelligent I became, the more I realized people would like me and my work and trust me because I was honest and relatable, not because I knew certain big scientific words. So I think on one hand, yes, it's partly who I am. And on the other hand, it's something I did have to learn. I did struggle with. That's did you very, feel like that's it's such a fine line? Oh, can oh you yeah, me? I was gonna say yes. Yeah, so I can sorry, hear. I'm a little bit oh. on a lag. Can you hear me? <laughs> yes, you go ahead. You go ahead, and you can cut that out <laughs> later. Okay. Oh no, yeah, no, I'm gonna leave that. <laughs> uh, well. I was going to say, so I'm a marketing director, Jordan, of a nonprofit. And I feel like I sometimes when I'm insecure will lead with like these big, you know, marketing terms that I don't even really know how to utilize. Um, or actually the word is use. You're not even supposed to use utilize. But did you feel this gap between like, okay, so now I've impressed them on the front end. Shit. Now I have to fill the gap between who I really am because I feel that way a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is really how imposter syndrome is created, right? Because you've essentially created a false idea of who you are to people who don't know you. And now you feel like you have to live up to that false identity that isn't really you. So then you're not sure if you're enough just based on who you are because you've shown them someone who you aren't. So it creates a very a very dangerous cycle in which you get in your own head and you think, well, am I good enough? Are they going to like this? Because every time you interact with them, you have to essentially be someone who you're not. It's funny you just use the utilize example. If you go back and look at my old content, I would say things like the foods you consume. And I remember at a certain point, I was like, I've literally never said the word consume in my life. I just say eat. So why in the hell am I writing consume when I never say that to a client? And it was when I started to use words and speak in a way that I just speak like a real human being. Well, then it became much more natural. And the anxiety of, of what people thought of me actually dissipated because I was just being myself. I didn't feel like I had to be anybody else. That's really good advice. Yeah, that is great. So you could hear me that time. <laughs> so before you just didn't care, you just were going to go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, that's about right. Welcome to the podcast, Jordan. <laughs> right. Great. It's very real. <laughs> yes. Um, well, I saw that um, someone asked a question about imposter syndrome recently when you were doing an AMA on Instagram. And um, I think your response too was like, you just have to keep going or something like that too, about like starting a small business and having imposter syndrome or something. And I thought that was really good advice. A um, little different than the way we're referring to it right now. I just had been thinking about that. I thought it was really good. Yeah, and it's the truth. I mean, it's one of those things where the reason everybody knows that term, imposter syndrome, is because everybody struggles with it. No matter right. what, like we all struggle with it, every single one of us. So really for me, in any situation, I try and break down, okay, so what are the options? Either quit or keep going. That's really always the only two options ever. 
if you really think about it, you're either going to stop or you're going to keep trying. And sometimes the right answer is to stop. Sometimes whether it's a relationship that isn't right for you, uh, a job, uh, an exercise that is hurt, whatever it is, a diet, it could be anything. Maybe the right answer is to stop. Or maybe the answer is, you know what, maybe you haven't been giving it your best effort and you should keep going or stopping just isn't going to help you in that situation. You've just got to keep plowing through no matter what. And so you have to ask yourself that question in any situation. And the right answer will present itself usually in your gut. Sometimes your brain will convince you, try and convince you the other way, but your gut always knows the right answer. So, I mean, if, if the question is, well, should I stop because I have imposter syndrome? The answer is always no. Yeah. So Hannah mentioned your AMAs, which this is not one of the questions that I have. Um, but since you mentioned it, I think Hannah has something else too. Are th- you do those and engage in such a real way on Instagram almost daily. Does that energize you or does that drain you? And how do you find that balance? I love the AMAs. I, I, those are right now my two favorite forms of content are the AMAs on Instagram and podcasts. Um, Posting on my feed isn't as enjoyable as it once was and, and making YouTube videos isn't as enjoyable as it once was. Um, tweeting is definitely not. I'm completely off Twitter because that's just a terrible place to be right now with all the right. politics and everything. It's a, yeah, it's um, a garbage disposal. I, I, yeah, <laughs> just terrible, terrible in every way. So for right now, I mean, I, I would imagine eventually one day making YouTube videos, I'll, I'll love doing those again. Because making content, I've been doing it for almost a decade. Like you go through cycles of different types of content. Um, I really like the AMAs and I really like podcasts. I think I like podcasts so much because... I can hang out with people either that I know or in a situation that I've never met before and have right. an really awesome conversation with people and, and really get into the nuance of what I'd like to discuss and, and have a really wonderful chat. Um, and the AMAs are great because I get questions from so many people and it always gives me new ideas and, and it challenges me to explain things in a way that maybe I haven't explained it before. People always ask, like, do you ever get tired of answering the same questions? And like, yeah, maybe like 5% I get like tired of answering the same questions, but 95% I get excited because I answer, I get to answer the question in a new way. So I love that stuff. That's, I, I think I would probably get tired of it before, <laughs> before you did. So you have a lot of patience. And I noticed that people are always asking you and probably more than even than you share. People are always asking you about your fiance and like, what's her name and where does she work? And why don't you share about her? And I am always looking for that perfect line between putting like yourself and your business out there as opposed to like your family. And, you know, for me, my kids, I try not to put them out there too much. Um, and for you, like, for example, you brought us along on your engagement day and yes, we were both keeping up <laughs> and messaging oh, yeah. back and forth. It was very exciting, but you still shield her name and her career and personal details. Is that like easy for you to do? Or do you feel like there's like a pull that oh, you're fighting yeah. against? There's definitely a pull. Um, there's a pull. And, and I mean, when we, for the first, I think, probably two years that we dated, I never even mentioned that I had a girlfriend for the first like two years of it. And maybe like slight mentions, but never really showing her, talking about her. I was very protective of her. And I still am, as you can see, but I was very, I didn't want anyone messaging her, bothering her. Cause you know, there are right. people online. Like there oh, is. Oh, totally. And I get, I see that every day and I'm not, I'm not even a woman. And here we are. <laughs> and here we are asking about her. <laughs> so, uh, I think I, you know, we live together and we're engaged. And so I, I show her now and, and I, I do my best to, to include her without 
being overbearing. And I think I recently put up a story the other day where someone asked her, someone said like, what do you do for work? And rather than me answering, I put it on her and I said, Hey, do you want to tell everyone what you do for work? And there was a pause. And I was like, you do not have to, like, it is not required of you. And she said, I'm, I don't really feel comfortable doing it. And I'm like, great. So good. Yeah. yeah. And this is, I put that up on my story and I wanted people to see that. Cause then there are some people who are like, it's so weird that you don't share that about her. Like, I'm like, that, that's her choice. Right. Her decision to have, whether or not she wants 700,000 people knowing who she is and what she does. It's like, it's, uh, I think for me, it, it's not really difficult for me to not share. I think it, it's more just about understanding where I've drawn the line and where I know she and I are both comfortable. That's so good because yeah, Hannah and I have different approaches to sharing our kids. So I have three girls there, two, three, and five. Um, and I share their pictures and videos a lot. And, you know, it's just kind of how I capture our childhood and, you know, all of that. But now that my oldest will be six in December, I have started to kind of ask her because I noticed her the other day smiling a different way. And I was like, what are, you know, what is that? And she was like, I just don't like my other smile. And I don't. Which one like broke my heart. I'm like, well, every smile. So whoever told you that can go to hell. But um, (laughs) I felt like more when I'm taking pictures, I'm like, are you okay with me taking a picture of this? And most of the time she's like, yeah, I don't care. I want fans. I want everyone to adore me. You know, all you know, 800 fans that I have. But um which is more than Hannah has, but it is um, true. By like four times. <laughs> it has been interesting to like navigate that. So it's, it's great to hear you even as an adult still trying to figure out like, where is the boundary? What are we okay with? And what are we not? Yeah, I think so oh, too. Yeah. I think as your fan base grows too, and as you know, you, you get more and more exposure. I, I think the, the more exposure you get, yeah, I think one of two things will happen. Either you'll love it and relish it and just be like, yeah, I'm going to share everything and just, <laughs> or you're going to go the opposite route, which is wor- more where I've gone, um, which is actually becoming more, uh, less, like less and less public, sharing less and less, just because, you know, it's, it's crazy. There, like, there's really crazy people out there. And For sure. I've started to get to the point where, you know, I can go out and, Usually if I go outside, someone will probably recognize me and which is a blessing and I'm very fortunate and I love it. But there's also like, I'm by no means famous at all. Like, especially compared to movie stars and all that. Like, I, I don't know how they do that, but I've started to get to the point where I can see, you know, the paparazzi taking videos of people and then blowing them up on the news about someone getting angry about it. I'm like, I can understand why. I mean, you're standing outside their house. Yeah. And like, right. I can see why people get more and more private with it. Yeah. Was it just last week? Justin Bieber posted something uh, because fans were outside of his house at like four. And he was like, this is my house. This is not a hotel. Like, I'm not in a public place for you to find me. Yeah, like, this is I my think home. That was, that was last week. Yeah, it, um, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, um, I have a couple questions for you just about health and wellness in general. Um, I don't I'm quite I'm not sure where to dive in, but maybe since I talked about the girls, this would be a good place. So <laughs> during quarantine, uh, which we're still quarantining mostly, but I gained 10 pounds and I had convinced myself it was due to cortisol. Like I was like, this is all cortisol. There's no chance I've been eating that much. I'm, I've been eating less, you know, like I'm telling myself all of this. And I think in your AMAs, I dropped it in your box like six days in a row, like Cortisol weight gain is a real thing, right? Like, like these 10 pounds will just disappear. Um, but which, it was so weird. You didn't answer that. But I, I was like, okay, well, how about I try, you know, calorie deficit, like you talk about a lot. Um, 
And I've lost 14 pounds, which I'm thrilled about. But then I'm also like, oh, well, it's like a fake 14 pounds because I'm kind of right back where I started plus a couple. But um, daily weigh-ins has been a game changer, calorie deficit. But I have fe- I feel like I have a complicated relationship with my food and body because my mom has a complicated relationship with her food and body. So I'm super aware as I have young girls growing up that as I'm eating or not eating or measuring or not measuring, how do you feel like you can embrace fat loss and calorie restriction and those kind of things while also not projecting like food fear or body image issues to kids? Yeah. I think it's a great question. Second, I would say I would try and remove the self-deprecation that was there or remove the negativity that was there in terms of you're like, well, you know, I'm getting, I'm back where I started plus a couple. It's like you lost how much? 15 pounds. Yeah. 14 ish. That's amazing. That's like period end of story. That's amazing. Period. It's not like, but it's that back where I started. It's like, no, you started 14 pounds heavier. So like, yeah, you're doing Thank great. You. That you should recognize that. And I would say like, if your friend told you that they lost 14 pounds, you'd be like, well, it's not really 14 pounds because you're just back to the kind of friend I would be. <laughs> so That's I, I really think, true though. That's good advice. True. And I think this is sort of goes into your question nicely about how do you do it? How do you do it in front of your kids without projecting anything is how you speak and act towards yourself. They will internalize and they will see. And as you know, like kids are super smart. They're, they, they see a lot. They internalize a lot. They, they much more than maybe we'd like them to. Um, yeah. So for example, one of the things that one of the common pushbacks I get from people like, well, I don't want to weigh or measure my food because I don't want to put that on my kids. I'm, I always ask, well, what about if you're making a recipe? Like if, if you're making or if you're trying to cook a recipe, I'm assuming you're probably putting something in a measuring cup and you're trying to like see about the portion size, right? Like you can talk about portion size and recipes and, and portion control without having to relate it to, well, I'm trying to lose weight because I don't like how much body fat I have, right? It's That's like fantastic. You can have, we can talk about the importance of, of making sure you're eating enough to fuel your body without eating too much, without necessarily being like, by the way, I don't like my muffin top. Right. Like, right. It's really about how you present it and, and how much you, how, what, how you talk about it. So I think that that's number one. Um, it, it's sort of the same thing with weighing yourself. Right. I know a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to weigh myself in front of my child. I don't want my child to see that as though they're talking about like pornography or something. It's like <laughs> you're weighing yourself. You're not like, you're not doing a sex tape in front of your child. You're just weighing <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, imagine if you if you create this fear around the scale so much that when your child goes to the doctor, then they they have this bad idea of going to the doctor because the doctor is going to do this thing that mom says is bad for you. It's oh, like, that's a good point. Weighing yourself isn't bad. It's how you weigh yourself, and then what do you do with it? If your child says, "Well, why are you weighing yourself?" It's like, "Oh, well, I just want to keep track of what the scale says and keep track of the data." You know, and like if the scale goes up too much, that's something for me to pay attention to. And if the scale goes down too much, it's important for me to pay attention to because we don't want it to go too far in either direction. And then you can say, "But for you, you're growing, so it's going to keep going up, and it should." But like, it's different for everyone, and I like to just keep track of it in the same way that I keep track of all the money in my bank account. Because it's important to know if I'm spending too much or if I'm, if I'm maybe I've saved so much that I can spend a little bit extra, just keeping track of data and take all the emotion out of it. Yeah. You defining weight as data and I use the weight gurus app that you recommended. Um, and it has been so freeing for me. Um, and it's funny because I have, you know, as most women and probably most people do struggle with body stuff. Um, and I felt like the times that I felt the best about myself was when I was pregnant, where it didn't 
the scale was supposed to go up. I was supposed to be growing. And so then to figure out how to stay not in that space where it feels like if you're not supposed to be going up, it feels like society is telling you, you should be going down. Um, so having that as just a data point has been really great. And I have done it in front of my girls. Um, but I try to define it as I'm just seeing how many muscles I have. Let's see how many muscles you have, you know, to try to get it in like, you know, just a positive, like we should, we should have mass to us. We're strong. This, you are 46 pounds strong. Good for you. I love that. I, I think that's, that's a way better way to frame it than I did. I think that's perfect. I would, I couldn't, I couldn't love that enough. Oh, thanks. Um, well, so <laughs> uh, going off of that, you know, I have been tracking pretty religiously in my fitness pal minus the days that it's funny with my fitness pal, how if I know I'm going over, I just stop logging, which is, you know, something I have to work behind. Cause I'm like, it doesn't matter. But it's like, if I ended up with 1700, but then I go eat a shit ton of ice cream, I'm like, okay, well, it's probably, you know, 2300, but I'm not going to log it. It's fine. Um, so, so every day it's like, when you, if you keep going, you're going to be zero pounds. I'm like, that's right. I am. Um, but do you feel like my fitness pal is pretty accurate or any tracker? Like how much do you feel like it undervalues caloric intake or overvalues caloric expenditure? Yeah. So <laughs> really good questions. And I have a lot to say about it. I'll start with the positives. I think my fitness pal is arguably the best application in terms of convenience for actually tracking your food. Um, it has so many foods already in there. You can scan the barcode. Uh, it makes it relatively easy to track exactly how much you're eating. And I think they've done a wonderful job with that. Um, as for the negatives of which there are also a lot, I think number one, generally speaking, they give they, they basically say, okay, you're a woman. So this is how many calories you should eat, which is ridiculous. Right. It's like, you, the last time I checked, most women, they just put automatically at 1200 calories, which is like, what the fuck are you doing? Um, <laughs> right. Some women and some men, that might be their calorie deficit if they're a very small, very petite individual. But the vast majority of people need more than 1200 calories a day. They just do. Uh, and just to make it by gender is tremendously short-sighted and, and a huge issue with how, how they approach their, their calorie calculator, if you will. So I don't like that. Um, I also think that the, I like how complete they are. Like they track your sodium, they track, they like literally all your vitamins and all that stuff. But I think for a lot of people, they start to, Oh my God, well, I'm not enough vitamin A today. Oh my God, I haven't had enough vitamin A. What do I do? It's like, (laughs) right. Fine. Um, and a lot of people, like they focus too much on the sodium and their, their science behind sodium is very outdated and old and it creates a lot more fear around that. Um, and then they, they also, if you exercise, they'll tell you to basically eat all of it back, which is a huge fucking problem. Um, because they're yeah, that's my there. favorite part of the app. Right. Yeah. Clearing up more calories. That's science. I thought I don't, I don't see the problem, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're massively overestimating how many calories you've burned. And, and so it sort of, it goes both ways, right? So on one hand, people are overeating, but they're not logging when they're overeating. And they're oftentimes saying that they're exercising more and burning more than they actually are. So they're eating more than they think and they're exercising more than they think. And so then they're actually eating back more calories than they should and they've already eaten more. And it's just no wonder people are struggling to lose weight. So for me, I'd rather you just track your calories and then 
if you don't try and add any calories back from exercise, unless, well, unless if you're Michael Phelps or an elite athlete, by all means, like go for it. Like if you're swimming for eight hours a day, it's a good idea to add some calories back. But if you're walking for 45 minutes, there's no fucking reason to add calories back to that. That's very good to know. And, um, I was, I was kind of trying my fitness pal a little bit earlier this fall. Um, it's a little overwhelming for me just with everything else going on in the world, (laughs) but in homeschooling my kids, but I thought, okay, let me add this in. And I liked it for the data, but then I thought like, based on their calculations, I was like dying by like 3.30 to 4 p.m. And I'm like, but I only have like 500 calories left. I know my dinner is going to be like 500. Like I don't, what am I doing wrong here? So I felt kind of crazy. So that's good to know. I'm like, okay, I can go on a walk and then I can eat dinner, <laughs> which feels unhealthy. <laughs> it's way over, overly meticulous, creating anxiety around it. It's, which is for me, it's why it's, listen, focus on your total calories that you eat, your total protein, and that's really it in terms of nutrition, regardless of the time of day that you eat or when you exercise, doesn't matter. Get your calories, get your protein, and you're good. Perfect. That's does really it, good to know. Does it blow your mind that, I mean, as maybe this is like a not fair statement to say that as simple as weight loss is, <laughs> calories in, calories out, which feels like it should be an age old thing that people always know. Is it like mind blowing that it feels so revolutionary to people? Yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I I remember when I figured it out. So I'll I'll tell you that story. When I think about this, it puts it all in perspective for me. Um, So I got into fitness when I was 14. Uh, I had been wrestling since I was eight years old. So I was cutting a lot of weight for wrestling. And I never really knew why I was able to lose weight. I just knew that I was barely eating when I really had to lose a lot of weight. But I never understood. I never really looked into calories or any of that. But there was this one guy I followed online. His name was Martin Birkin. Uh, this is in like 2007, 2008, 2009. And he's the guy who popularized intermittent fasting. Um, in the early 2000s, he was in the bodybuilding.com forums. And there's He's a random nutritionist from Sweden that no one had ever heard of. And at that point in time, the idea of intermittent fasting was completely and utterly outrageous. Everyone was like, what are you talking about? You need to eat six small meals a day to stoke your metabolic fire. And this random nutritionist from Sweden was like, actually, you're wrong. I'm looking at the research. It does not show that. Let me tell you why. Let me show you why. And he was talking about intermittent fasting and he was showing all of his client success stories who were getting extraordinary results, like unbelievable results. And my wrestling coach was talking to me and he was like, this guy, he knows something that we don't know. Like he knows what's going on and, and he knows like he knows the secret to fat loss that no one else knows. Keep in mind, I'm in high school and my high school wrestling coach is saying this to me and he goes, you should hire him so that you can learn from him. And thinking back oh, wow. now, I'm 29 years old. I'm like, crazy. I'm like, why did my high school wrestling coach tell me to hire him? Why didn't he just do it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird situation that he put me in. But I mean, I'm glad that it happened because I emptied my bank account. I like had a little over 300 bucks. I spent 300 bucks on a 12 week program. And I remember anxiously waiting for this program to come in anxiously waiting for this program to come in from this guy, Martin Birkin, because I was like, this is, he knows the secret. What he's going to give me is the secret to fat loss. I cannot wait to know what the secret is. And he sent me this program and it was my calories and my protein. And he was like, listen, I know I'm a big intermittent fasting guy, but I really don't care what times you eat just as long as you hit your calories and protein. And I was so deflated. I was like, this is it. Like literally, right. It was that and three times a week strength training program, three times a week. And it was like, 
the strength training program wasn't that good. It was like leg extension, leg curl. I was like, what the hell is this? I was like, gym and that's it. And I wrote him back. I was like, is this like the beginner program? And he was like, no, this is it. And I, I, I was like, you know what? I emptied my bank account. I'm going to try it. And I did it 100% consistently for 12 weeks. And I got shredded to bits. Like I, wow. Unbelievable. And I remember thinking, I, I vividly remember by the end of week 10, and I had seen my body change dramatically. I was like, oh my God, the secret to all of this is consistency. I vividly remember staring in the mirror being like, I had never actually stuck to something for this long, 100% of the time. I was always changing it once every week, every two weeks, trying something new, trying keto, trying calories, trying paleo, whatever it is. But I was like, you know what, I'm going to stick to it. I stuck to it for 12 weeks. And I vividly remember being like, wow, it's really just actually sticking to it is all that matters. And of course, calories and protein. And so now having done it for being a coach for almost 15 years now, like I can... I, I, I understand it, obviously, and it's it's not surprising to me, but I always remember back to the anxious anticipation that I had waiting for that program to be like, okay, there are still people, the vast majority of people who think there's something there, something magical, something secretive that isn't available to the public that they don't know yet. Yeah, it is crazy. Like, I feel like we have big pharma and we have big tech and it's like people think there's like big wellness out there that's like you just have to unlock or be able to afford because I feel like people are willing to like empty veins to get the secret, but aren't necessarily willing to like look at something that should feel like a very simple formula and then do that. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, go ahead. No, no, no. Keep going. I was just going to say that it, it really is like the trick. Like, so I got my dad, um, onto you as well. <laughs> In the same way that Caroline evangelized to me about Jordan Syatt. And, um, so he's watching because he's, he's like goes through these weight things all the time. And I'm like, I promise you, like, these are the answers and they're simpler that you think. And of course you need like to hear things from someone else that isn't <laughs> your child. So I think that he's picked it up from you as well. Just like sticking with it. And it's, it's just hard. Like it's hard to stick with things when you don't see those results. So the consistent encouragement and stuff, um, I think is really good. You know, like you were always getting on Instagram and saying like, keep at it. You guys, you know, you're doing what the right thing is. And people will say like, Oh, I lost this much weight or I'm doing this much better or whatever it is. And you're like super encouraging. And I think that that probably is helping a lot of people. Like it gives, I know Caroline and I have said that that's really encouraging for us in the past. That makes me super happy. Thank you. It's one of those things where I know for me as an individual, like if I'm going to, number one, if I'm going to enjoy something and number two, if I'm going to succeed, it helps to have some positive reinforcement, ideally from a coach. Um, But I also know not everyone can afford a coach and not everyone is, is even, even aware that they need a coach. So for me, part of my content strategy, if you want to call it that is literally trying to coach people via Instagram or YouTube or Facebook, whatever it is, just trying to coach people essentially by giving them the information, but also giving them the positive reinforcement that they would get in a one-on-one situation. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. I had written down like a very similar question and I think you've almost answered it because I you specifically like people often share that they try keto and paleo and you've said those are basically calorie deficits wrapped up differently. So it's so interesting to me that something that you could monetize even more with with your method, quote unquote, you are so generous to give to so many people for free. You know, it's interesting. It's 
I don't even think of it. It's, I don't think it's generosity. It's it's actually, for me, it's actually a great business strategy, right? If I'm going to be very blunt and honest about it, it's like, yeah, I know that if I tell the truth, then a couple things are going to happen. Number one, if I tell the truth, I'm going to feel better about it. So it's selfish in that sense, because if I lie, I'll feel terrible. So like I'm selfishly telling the truth so that I feel better. Also, mm-hmm. I know that if I tell the truth and people see results, then they're going to trust me more and they're more likely to join the inner circle and to buy my program and to support me. So it's like, yes, I, I think that I could be a smarmy, schemy asshole and make up stuff and, and try and sell nonsense. But I, I, I don't have any interest in doing that at all. And I yeah. also know that a business will do better, especially in this day and age. Like, if, if you go back to maybe the 70s, 80s, 90s, and you go to those infomercials or whatever, and like there wasn't social media, I think it would be easier to lie and get away with it because, you know, like it's just you don't have social media, you don't have comments on people's pages and stuff like that. Whereas now you see the Kardashians promoting some nonsense tea talks and you go to the page that they're doing it on and you have thousands of comments being like, this is bullshit. Why would you do this? You're a sellout. Yeah. Right. And it's very hard now to be. Uh, pushing nonsense without feeling like an asshole about it because you have people's comments all day. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. We've talked about that before too, a little bit. Yeah, we definitely have. And we have feelings about people who then start selling, you know, network marketing products and things like that, which we don't need to go into necessarily. But, you know, there is like this authenticity thing that I think social media should open the most, but tends to also force us to hide the most. And so I had a question for you too, because I know that you spend a lot of your time in personal and professional development, but you're also producing content pretty real time. So, you know, if you were back in the, let's say nineties and you came out with a new book every year, if you changed philosophies at all, there was time to do it because you had time to put out a book. Has there happened to be a time where you, your philosophy shifted Therefore, what you talked about shifted, but you're kind of real time all the time. Have you had that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, there were there were times when for, I'll, I'll use a couple examples. Number one is I used to be very big on organic. I used to be very mm-hmm. big on that, and I used to talk about the importance of eating organic and, and and why I think it's it's more beneficial. And then I actually I, I actually remember it. This is actually really funny. This happened with two different things. Uh, this happened with sodium and organic, and both times what happened is I was writing articles on the importance of keeping your sodium low, and I was writing a separate article on the importance of eating organic. And I was like, in order to get the best. Uh, article, I needed to really do research and, and not just look at other articles that someone else had written, but go into PubMed and go into Google Scholar and look at actual research articles that are published and peer reviewed and really analyze them. And both times, I'll never forget this, both times when I was actually viewing the, the real trials and the real research, I was like, oh my God, I'm wrong. <laughs> And yeah. I literally just got the shivers because I remember specifically the sodium article because I was writing it when I was at my mom's house in Boston. And I was, I was writing an entire article to, to post a guest article on someone else's website all about sodium. And as I was reading the research, I was like, oh my God, I, I'm wrong about this. Oh no. I was super nervous because I was like, this person who I'm supposed to write a guest post for thinks that the conclusion of my article is going to be reduce your sodium intake. But 
that's, I can't say that now because it's not the truth. Like that's just based on the, it's very clear in the research that that's a very uh, reductionist way to look at it. That's not actually accurate. There's, you know, crazy enough, more of a, a gray area rather than so black and white. And so both times I changed my stance publicly. And, you know, fortunately the person that I posted the, the article on, they were like, oh, wow, I didn't know this. Thank you so much. This is great. And they were very open wow. to, the, to the other research. And so, I, yeah, very publicly. But what's interesting is, if you lie and you and you dig your heels in and you cherry pick research to support your preconceived notion, whether it's today or tomorrow or next year, people are going to find out and, and they're not going to appreciate it. But if you say, hey, I used to think this, but now because of new research, I think this, people will be significantly uh, more receptive to it. And there might be one or two assholes, but the vast majority of people will respect your ability to say, hey, I was wrong. Now, like newer research says this. Um, so yeah, I've definitely done that a number of times. I've done that with protein intake. I've done that with organic and sodium. I've done that with sleep. I used to be very much of the opinion that, you know, as long as your calories and protein were in check, you could get like minimal sleep and you'd be fine. But actually more recently in the last couple of years, significant research around sleep quality has shown that uh, if your sleep isn't adequate, even if your protein and training is on point, you can lose muscle mass, which is like, I've huh. that recently. So like, yeah, I, I've been wrong more times than I've been right. I think the difference is I'm okay saying that I've been wrong. Right. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, my husband is a chef and he has long preached that <laughs> that organic is just marketing, which, yeah. you know, whatever, yeah. but he'll he'll be really pleased to hear that. He's 100% correct. <laughs> and it, that was a, a big hit for me, especially because when I was in high school, you know, I, I feel so bad about it. I've told this story before. I was, I, my, I didn't have much money growing up. And by me, I mean like my family, my mom, like she worked multiple jobs. Like we didn't have much money. And as I was getting into health and fitness, I was like, we need to buy organic. We need to buy organic. And like, God bless her. She wanted to do whatever I wanted, but she just couldn't afford it. And there was resentment on my end. Like as a 17 year old kid who knew everything in the world, I'd get mad just because like we couldn't afford organic. And I was like preaching that nonsense. Like, well, if you, uh, <laughs> if you, if you can't afford not to get it, basically type of thing, like for your stuff. And I've apologized profusely ever since then, but I just, I feel bad about thinking back to it, the pressure that I put on her. And then now I'm just glad to know that, you know, it, it is marketing. It's not true. Like I, I think for me, one of the reasons I, I talk about it fairly frequently now is because I know there are mothers and single mothers and, and fathers and single fathers or just parents in general who, who aren't sure what they should be feeding their children. And they yeah. feel like they're poisoning their kids if they're not giving them organic. And I'm very happy to say that like, no, you're, you're totally fine giving them not organic food because that's, I would say 98% of it is just marketing. Yeah. And, you know, even for, you know, taking it even more granular, you know, if somebody is listening or follows you who, let's say, is producing some of those foods, but can't afford the certification that they need to get the organic certification, you know, there are some things that are just helpful with education for on all ends for consumers to know, hey, here's what you're buying. And it's all across the board, fairly similar, because there's a lot of things that no one is allowed to use. Correct. Um, that's great. I want to respect your time. Um, Hannah, do you have other questions? Um, I think I got all my stuff in. <laughs> I front loaded <Okay>. it. <laughs> um, 
Okay. So this is one that I have loved you talking about getting steps in and walking because I have developed a deep love affair with walking during quarantine. Um, it's one of the only times I'm truly by myself, not working or parenting. Um, but at the beginning, I felt so bad that all I was doing was walking and not running. And I feel like we're in a culture that you always need to be doing more and more and more. But you have been so positive about walking that now getting steps is like my favorite thing every day. Can you talk a little bit about that and other exercises that are maybe undervalued and underrated? Yeah, I mean, I, that makes me very happy. I just smiled really big just hearing that because it's been one of my major goals, especially in the last year or so, is to talk more and more about walking and the benefits of it. Um, there are a number of reasons for why I do this. But number one, I'll say is going to school for for exercise science and studying this stuff, you, you see on a cellular level the benefits of walking. Like you, they, you study this. And I'll never forget one of my first professors saying to me, he was like, if people actually saw the, the cellular change, like what, what happens and what that means just from an extra 20 minutes a day of walking, everybody would do it because it's so outrageous, like so incredible what happens in your body when you just walk for 20 minutes that it, it would be, you'd have to be insane not to do it once you've seen the proof of it. Um, wow. It's just, it, it's, it's so underappreciated because you're maybe you're not sweating and panting and out of breath. And maybe the, the cliche idea of exercise is, you know, the, the CrossFit workout and kettlebells and chalk and, you know, all that stuff. But yeah. stuff is great. It's fine. But for me, it's like, listen, we, we have an obesity epidemic. We have the, a, a tremendous number of people dying of heart disease every year, metabolic disease, and, and literally walking could save their life. And they're, that person who is significantly overweight and very insecure, and maybe they don't have enough money, whatever it is, they're not going to walk into a CrossFit gym or not likely to and just say, all right, let's pick up a barbell and get going. So for me, it's like, how do I get them started? And how can we actually see real-time improvements in their, not just physical health, but mental and emotional health? And you know, for me to hear you say that now walking is one of your favorite things, that's a huge win because, well, what happens once you actually start making walking a habit and you start noticing your improvements and how far you can walk and how fast you can walk? Number one, you're probably going to start wanting to do more exercise. Maybe you'll end up start jogging like for a little bit of that walk. Maybe you'll start focusing on your nutrition a little bit more. And then what happens once you start doing this? You start seeing results. You start maybe losing weight, liking how you look in your clothes a little bit better. And then you starting to feel more confident in yourself to actually succeed and that you believe, wow, like I can actually do this. And then maybe once you have that feeling, then maybe you go to join the gym. And then that's how it sort of steamrolls. So for me, it's not just about the walking, which is incredible in and of itself, but what happens in a year, two years, four years after you start walking. Yeah. And you know, for me, I felt like it turned exercise from an obligation into a therapy almost because mm. before, you know, we were going to the gym and the Y, you know, five times a week, six, you know, four to six times a week where I would get on the elliptical or do weights. And I loved all of those things, but then I started to feel guilty if I wasn't doing it mm -hmm. strong enough, hard enough, you know, enough time. But I think because of the COVID situation, it was my time to decompress. And I felt like it was a true stress relief. And as much as I said before, exercise is as much mentally for me as anything. It was really physically driven. But walking helped give me like, no, I feel great about this. And then I was doing something active for an hour versus 20 minutes if I had it. And to your point, Hannah and I have both started adding running intervals into our walks. And it's like, it's so weird to feel empowered by our bodies with exercise versus obligated to it. 
I, I love that. And I think sort of what you're describing here is the difference between a focus on aesthetics and a focus on performance, which there's nothing wrong with having aesthetic based goals. There's nothing wrong with it at all. But speaking from many, many, many years of experience and watching the people who succeed and enjoy fitness versus the people who don't succeed and or don't enjoy it is the people who focus on what their body can do and focusing on the performance that their body has. They are infinitely more likely to actually love how their body looks because when you focus on what your body can do, you, you there's always a positive outcome. Like you're always improving. You're always getting better and you're always noticing that positive. Whereas if you're only looking at how you look, I mean, you're always going to be able to find something you don't like. You're always going to be able to find some part, nook, crevice, whatever on your body. Like, ah, oh, like I don't like how that looks. And when the workout is over, even if it was a great workout, you can look in the mirror and be like, ugh, but I still don't like how I look. But if you're focusing on how your body performs and what it can do, the, there's no other option but to be impressed and proud and like, wow, I'm getting better. This is what I did last week. This is what I did today. I'm improving. I'm going to add a little bit of running in here. You can always find the positive. And if we're really looking at how to improve your mental health and emotional health and relationship with your body and fitness, that starts with being able to find the positive. That's such a good point. It's funny that you say that because I was on staff at a church who did like real crazy things for employees. Um, but we did health challenges twice a year. And one that we did uh, was called the old 96er where we did 96 burpees a day for 30 days, but teams got bonuses for doing more. So like my team was doing like 200 burpees a day. Like it was ridiculous, but I was convinced that I had a six pack after the second day because I was like, no, it's like, it is there. Like, I swear I was looking in the mirror and I'm like, there it is. It's just heated and it's there. And so it's even now I'm like, well, all I have to do is 96 burpees two days and it's here it is. <laughs> You're that. so close. You're so close. To I think that's all I need. <laughs> well, now I'm like, I can never do another burpee. There. That was torture. But, you know, look what I could do. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, Hannah, is there any anything else? I mean, I feel like we could talk to you forever, Jordan, but I do want to respect the time that you are giving us because this has been amazing. Yeah, um, we super appreciate you taking the time and just everything you post is so valuable. So thank you for that. And thank you for sharing your um, jujitsu journey too, because it's really valuable to see like, I won some, I lost some, I won some, I lost some, here's what I learned, here's what I'm going to do differently. And that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. It was funny. I mean, I think it was funny. I was very nervous for that competition. Um, And I realized I was the majority of the nerves from that competition came from me publicly sharing it. Oh, and interesting. We know there were some people who were going to see that, like the result of it. So if I hadn't told anybody, I, I think I would have been nervous, but I wouldn't have been that nervous. I, and right. It was funny. Even when I was a competitive powerlifter and competing at a very high level, I never, I mean, I never posted about it. I always kept to myself. I would get off social media uh, before competition. But this time I was like actually documenting it the whole way through. And it was, I was so much more in my head because of it. But I think that's something that like I want to work through instead of, because I have my next competition in about a month. I'm going to do the same thing. I'm going to like, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to post about it again because I think it's important to sort of work through that insecurity and also understand, I mean, on the other side of it, Everyone was so positive and uplifting. No one was like, oh, you suck. You lost. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like, hey, like you won your first match. Like you did a great job. 
and now you can get, you can improve and get better and you know what to focus on. So it's one of those things where, uh, it's nice on my end too, to see how, how nice and encouraging people can be. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Best of luck next well, month. That'll be exciting to see. Yes. And do you want to let everybody know where they can find you? I know you're not on Twitter, but on Instagram and then maybe some uh, information about the inner circle if anybody's interested. Yeah, I'll just say if you if you want to follow me on, on Instagram, you can follow me at Syatt Fitness, S-Y-A-T-T Fitness. It's like the, the Hyatt Hotel, but with an S. Um, <laughs> uh, YouTube, my own podcast, all that stuff. You just Google my name, you'll be able to find it. And for, for any paid programs like my inner circle, I'll say this. Don't buy anything from me until you go look at my free content first. So if you go look at my free content and you enjoy it, if you Google search the inner circle, the site fitness inner circle, you'll find it and you'll get all the information, but don't buy anything until you actually consume my free content first. And I will say, I have to specify the site fitness inner circle because there was there apparently in the UK, there's a, a, a dating app called the inner circle. Oh, perfect. <laughs> that is wild. <laughs> I didn't know that. And this was super funny. There was this, uh, it's a paid dating app. So it's not free. It's a paid dating app. And I was getting these emails about a year ago from this guy who being like, Hey, I signed up for the inner circle. And, uh, it's just, it's not what I was looking for. And I want to move on. There's a bait and switch. Yeah. And I plugged it in on my, on the back end of my, my members. And I was like, I don't have this email. I was like, would you mind telling me what email you used to sign up? And he was like, this email, I was like, this, you're not showing up as a member. He's like, and he, he sent me a screenshot of the, of the receipt of order. And I, I looked at it. I was like, this is, this isn't mine. And then I looked at it again. And I, I Google searched. I was like, Oh bro, this is a dating app. Like this. That's amazing. That's hilarious. Well, I can't wait to join the inner circle. I feel like what, what you provide for free and then what you also have as a paid is just really life changing and empowering for women and for men, but specifically for our, for our listeners, right. for women. So thank you for providing that and what you do. Yeah. yeah and and for taking the time too. thank you. You, you two are, are phenomenal hosts and I appreciate you having me on. So thank you. Thanks, Jordan. Well, um, we will be back here next week. Not with Jordan. It's just us. Uh, <laughs> but we'll think of some good content. I mean, we can talk Harry Potter. I'm a uh, Hufflepuff. Yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see you next week. 